You are listening to a podcast from Classic City Church. We're glad you've joined us. Our services are held at 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings at 595 Prince Avenue in the Piedmont Sanctuary. For more information, please visit www.classiccity.org. This is a sermon from Pastor Lee Mason. Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and last week the Song of Solomon. And what these books do, they help us navigate through very difficult and very challenging places in our life. Psalms talks about experiences and emotions, and it tells you, hey, be planted in God's Word. Proverbs talks about decisions and, and, and the, the vulnerability human beings have to make bad decisions, a lot of times because of peer groups and things like that. And it tells you, fear the Lord. You want to have a little wise life? Fear the Lord. Put Him first. Revere what He says, not what your friends or colleagues say. Fear Him. You know, the, when we get to the book of, of Ecclesiastes, we talk about meaning, our quest for meaning, and what, what are we here for. And Ecclesiastes really simply just tells us this. Remember your Creator. You want to live a meaningful life? You want to have a connection to your purpose, to your why that you're here? Remember your Creator. Then last week we talked about Song of Songs, and we talked about hey, how do you navigate romance and love and, and sexuality, and the real simple refrain. Of, and again, that book was written to women; it wasn't written to men. Uh, the simple refrain is, "Don't arouse or awaken love till it's time. Save yourself for the right person." That's the advice of Song of Psalms. Now we get into another place where we're going to need to navigate. Uh, and everybody's going to need this at some point in your life. And it's how do you navigate tragedy? How do you navigate tragedy? How do you get through it? How do you not spin out of control? I remember um, a few years ago, Lisa and I were, uh, our 25th anniversary, the church blessed us with a trip to Italy. And we always wanted to go. We went to Italy. We were in Rome. And then we went to Florence, and from Florence we went to Tuscany. And then, and the way I got there is, well, we went to, to the what's the Cinque Terre, to that beautiful place. And then we we, we went to um, uh, from Florence we took a I took a um, rent a car, took a chance, took a rent a car, and drove to Tuscany. And it was a it was a great car. It was a Audi sports car, hybrid. So I was like, it was like a rocket. I mean, I was just flying and it was great. And when we left the rental car place, the gal said, well, when you come back, she put in the GPS, plugged it in to the rental car place. It was in the Florence airport. Got it in there. She just pushed this button and it'll be fine. I'm like, great. So we drove, had a great time. The GPS took us right to our place in Tuscany. We went to Siena. We went to San Giamani and it was great. And then we were coming back from Tuscany to Florence a few days later to drop off the rental car. We're going to go to Rome and, and leave in a couple days. So we're going back, and the GPS took us straight up to the airport. But the GPS did not take us to the rental car place. And so it was 6.30 for two hours. 
Lisa and I drove around the airport and the roads around and got lost and had to come until we finally found the rental car place. Two hours. Now, you can get kind of discombobulated when your navigation is off like that. And I remember having this thought. This is what got us both through it. Because you can't understand the language, you can't read the signs, the GPS is taking you to the wrong place. I kept telling myself over and over again, one day, you're going to find the rental car place. <laughs> in a few hours, at some point in time, I'm going to land where I'm supposed to land, and this will be over. That's, that's literally how I got through that moment. Just told myself that over and over again, finally... He came through. And, and when you're going through a tragedy, it's almost what you need to, that's what needs to happen. And no matter what you're experiencing, and you gotta keep driving, and you gotta keep moving, but you gotta remember, eventually, I'm gonna land where I'm supposed to, or eventually, we're gonna get through this. And, and, and the book of Job is about how to go through tragedy. Um, Job, if we read about it, his story um, is the way it's told in the Bible. He was the richest man in the East. He had seven sons. He had, or he had ten children, seven daughters and three sons. He was wealthy. It, it talks in the opening of the Bible about his mass holdings, how much he had. And then there's this, you know, so you get the first six verses of Job. You have this guy who's a good man. He fears God. He's the most spiritual guy, and he's the wealthiest guy. Which is how things ought to work. If you're a good man, you're spiritual, you're godly, you help the poor, God ought to bless you and give you more and more. And that's what was happening in Job's life. And then we get this odd break in the story. And you actually go up to heaven. And in heaven there's God and he's with this council of other beings. And this one being comes forward and his title is called the Satan. Or the Satan is actually how it would have been pronounced in Hebrew, and it literally means the opponent, the adversary. A lot of times he is, uh, he would have been seen really as the defense attorney, or the, excuse me, the prosecuting attorney. And he's coming forward, he comes before God, and they have a conversation, and basically God asks him, have you considered my servant Job? Basically the this, this Satan says, nobody serves you, nobody never serves you. No one really, human beings don't love you. They don't know about you. They don't care about you. And he says, have you considered Job? And Satan says back, well, of course he does. You give him everything he wants. If you touched his life, his life goes bad. He'll curse you. And God said, look, I'm not going to touch his life, but you can. Everything he has is in your power. Just don't harm him. And so the way it's written, it's almost like a play. Character comes up and tells Job, this got stolen, this got stolen, all your wealth was confiscated, and then his, all his kids are killed. And Job just goes into deep, deep mourning. But he stays very loyal and very faithful to God. So again, we go back up to the heaven, and God's going, okay, Job's still loyal. He goes, oh, but you haven't messed with his health, it's great. I mean, no wonder. I mean, who, I mean, what's what's ten kids and a bunch of money? He's still got his health, and so he says, "Okay, 
you can attack his health. He goes and he actually gets what's probably like shingles all over his body. He just gets covered in these sores. And he, he goes into a real deep depression. He takes a pot, piece of pottery, and scrapes them, and he shaves his head. And he just is in this incredible place of misery. His wife tells him to curse God and die. That's great advice when you're going through something. Just get it over with. Curse God and die. And Job says some things that are kind of famous. He says, the Lord gives, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Shall we accept good from God and not bad? And, he, and the Bible makes the point. He maintained his integrity through this thing. And then we come to the very end of, of this introduction. It's in chapter 3. And in verse 20, Job begins to really emote. And at the very end of chapter 3, he begins to ask this question a few times. This haunting question that haunts you when you're going through situations like that. The question is why? 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 It just is mulling over. Why? Why? And then we're introduced to three of his friends. And his three friends begin to talk to him, and they're trying to answer the question of why. And so for much of Job, from chapter 4 to chapter 31, there's just three cycles of conversations with these friends about why. And it's written kind of like a, a legal confrontation. And the first section is kind of like a pretrial. And in it, they're going back and forth, and they're basically doing what, this is the kind of stuff I do when somebody's going through this. They say, hey, it's going to be okay. Just hang in there. Just, hey, you know, tough times don't last. Tough people do. And, you know, and then they give him all these nice sayings, and they're really encouraging him on. They're trying to do it. And Job just, and they're, and they're defending God. And Job, Job literally says, it's really an interesting chapter, chapter 13. He tells them, your proverbs are ashes, and your sayings are clay. He just says, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't know what I'm going through. You know, we have that poster, Footprints in the Sand, and another corny Christian thing. If you have it in your wallet, don't feel bad. When you're really going through something, that is not, a, that is not powerful. It doesn't really come across. And, and Job is... Just processing this. And as this section goes on, something occurs to Job. He says, you know what I really want to do? I want to challenge God to a, to a court hearing. I want a hearing. I want to bring God to court. And I want to, to, I want to let him know I don't deserve this. That I am good. That I am righteous. That I did this. That I did that. And I shouldn't be going through this. And his friends keep... His friends are like, oh my, you know, what, what on earth? And, and, and one of the things, we'll get this in a second, one of the things that Job is really pleading for, he goes, you know, I wish I had a mediator. It's in chapter 9. I wish I had somebody, there was somebody who could really be a mediator in a dispute between God and I. Because he realizes that what would you do if you were a jury and somebody were trying God? You know what I would say? God's right. 
don't hit me with a bolt of lightning. You know what? Like I am, you know, you're just like, he's like, who is going to argue with God? Who is going to take my side against God's side? But he goes, but I know I'm right. I know I'm right. And I wish there was somebody who was strong enough and powerful enough and honest enough that they would really disagree with God. Because if there was somebody like that, if there was somebody who could mediate a dispute between God and I, I'd have a chance. And I wouldn't be afraid to, 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 be, to do this. And I wouldn't fear God's rod or His punishment. And so he goes through this cycle. And then that ends. The second cycle, his friends change their tune. And here's what they begin to say. All right, Job, there must be some reason this happens. There must be some sin in your life. Something you do, you've done wrong. And so Job continues to defend himself. And says, I have no sin. There's a real famous verse that we use a lot of times. and It talks about sexual purity where, where Job literally says, I made a covenant with my eyes that I will not gaze at a virgin. I won't, I won't look at a young woman lustfully. I've made a covenant with my eyes. I haven't even done that. I haven't done anything wrong. And he defends his integrity. And then they go through a last cycle of these things. And Job again defends himself and says, no, God's wrong. I'm right. This shouldn't have happened. And so his three friends give up. And then there's this guy named Elihu. He's a young guy. He comes in. And we have about four or five verses of Elihu basically taking up God's side. And Job just, just blows him off and doesn't listen. And, and you know, just is, he's not penetrating. And then something wild happens. While Job is wanting to get God in this legal confrontation, in chapter 40, God actually shows up. And he comes. And it's a little famous passage. God says, okay, who darkens my counsel? With? Who, who's, who is the brilliant one showing up to tell me how to run the universe? And he asks Job some questions. Like, do you know how to make a, the earth spin? Do you know how to set the boundaries for the tides? Do you know how to make tides work? Do you, and he, he goes on and on about the creation. He goes on and on about weird and wild things that happen in life. He talks about like an ostrich. Spends some time about this goofy bird, the ostrich, that steps on its own eggs. And it can't fly. And it's just weird bird, but, he says, it can outrun a horse. You know, and, it's just, and, and he just says, look, there's a lot of weird anomalies to life. You're not going to get. You're not going to understand. You're not God. And so Job, and he ends with this, and I want to read this passage to you. And we'll make a couple comments and close it out. But Job 42, after this dialogue from God where God is coming and he's actually speaking to Job. Verse 1, it says, Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. In other words, he's saying, look, I know you can change this. I know you can stop evil from happening. I know you can do these things. Uh, you ask, who is this who obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I do not understand. Things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now and I will speak. I will question you and you will answer me. 
My ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore I despise myself. I repent and ask you. Job has this encounter with God, and he says, look, okay, I see it. I see something I never saw before. And, and Job is peace, and he's resolved. And, and the crucial thing, and I want to talk about, there's three real, I think, really powerful threads that are in this book um, that are great. You know, number one thread is this. Job, that thing's really powerful. Job, there, there are people that serve God through that thing. And Job did that. He served God for nothing. He went through a, a brutal tragedy and, and really did not deny his integrity. He didn't throw it all away because it was tough and it was difficult. And, and, and that's a very, very powerful uh, testimony. There's a verse we read as our inspiration where Job's going through this stuff and he feels like God has forsaken him. And he's really mourning the silence. You know, it's not just that it's tough. It's just that he's praying and all he gets from God is silence. But he says this, I know my Redeemer lives. And in the end, he's going to stand on the earth. And when my skin and my bones have wasted away, with my own eyes, I will see him. And there was this this conviction he had deep in his heart that no matter what it's going through, no matter what it looks like, no matter what it may seem, God's ignoring me. He's not listening. He's not there. He says, in the end, I know this. In the end, He will stand on this earth. And when I'm dead and gone, I, I will see Him with my own eyes. And there was just that, that conviction Deep in his heart. Got him through this. Got him through this tragedy. And so a man really will serve God for nothing. Here's the, the second thing I think it's really important. Job cried out why. Job cried out why. And he had no peace. God brought to him another, answered another question. It's not why, it's who. The, what really resolves our soul in tragedy and preserves it is not knowing why, it's knowing who. And, and Job was, all this why, why me, and I deserve better, and then he finally connects with God, and he says, my ears always heard this, but now my eyes see. It's who. It's not God. It's who. And the third thing that I think is very powerful here, I want to close with this, it's found in Job chapter 9. There's a verse here. Let me read this to you. And I think this is something that is uh, really profound in this book. It's the end of Job chapter 9. It's verse 32 through 35. And Job's talking about God. And he's talking about needing a mediator, someone to go between the two and settle this dispute he has with God. And he talks of God. And he says, God's not a mere mortal like me that I might answer him, that we might confront each other in a court. It's like, how am I going to go to court with God? And then he says this, if only there were someone to mediate between us, someone to bring us together, someone to remove God's rod from me so that this terror would frighten me no more, then I would speak up without fear. 
But as it now stands with me, I cannot. Here's what he's saying. Man, how can I connect with God and not fear judgment? How can I connect with God and have a relationship that's free? Where I can be fearless and just be really bold and be really honest with him. And he goes, God, I wish there was a mediator. I wish there was somebody who could be a real go-between between God and I. And we understand that what Job was crying about and, and feeling a longing for 2,000 years later came about. There was a mediator that can mediate between God and man. There is a mediator who can remove the threat of punishment, the threat of retribution, the threat of, of feeling that there's a God's going to retaliate uh, against you and I because we're, we're sinful and because we're wrong. Well, this mediator is a lot different mediator. This is not a mediator who comes into your life and fixes everything. And, and repairs every circumstance in your life. He was a mediator that became human. He was a mediator who was born poor. He was a mediator who was with a, 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 a despised minority in the Roman Empire. He was a mediator who literally was accused wrongly of a crime and who died a, a brutal death. And when you and I talk to God about our sufferings, His response to us is two words, and they're very powerful. His response is, me too. Me too. Me too. There was a play that was written after the Holocaust. A lot of people were mad that it happened and, and, and turned their anger toward God. The injustice of it all. And in this play, there was a... All of humanity stood before God. And they were bowing down and Somebody stood up and said, who are you to judge us? Who are you to judge us? And he said, I was this. This this happened to me. Who are you to judge us? And someone else stood up and said, yeah, I was born poor. I was in poverty. Who are you to judge me? Then a young slave boy was from slavery stood up and he had a brand around his neck where he had been hung and he had been lynched. He said, I was lynched. Who are you? And then there was a Jewish young man that stood up and said, I was executed. I've suffered racism and the brutality of it. Who are you? And they were, they were getting mad and they were saying, yeah, let God come and experience our humanity. Let him experience our circumstances. Somebody said, yeah, let him be born and be accused of being illegitimate. Let him be born in moral shame. Yeah, let him be born in poverty to a couple teenagers. Yeah, let him endure that. And let him be in a, a group of people that's a minority that's persecuted and oppressed by, a, by a, an imperial power. Yeah, let him endure that. Yeah, let him suffer a, a false arrest. Let him go to jail for no reason. And let him go through the mockery of a trial. 
And let him be executed shamefully and painfully. And let him die in agony and pain. When they all got done, they looked around. In their anger and in their, their maddening cries, they realized God had paid their sins. God paid their sins. I assure you, I pastor a church. In the last few years, we've had three tragedies that are bewildering to me. We had one we prayed for last week. A girl, I think it's one of the most remarkable Christian girls I'd ever met a few years ago. It was in a car wreck. And just five girls, four of them were killed. She survived. She's um, learning to walk, hopefully. We'll fight through it. But you sit there and go, why? 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 You know, I've been reading every morning the, or every week the blog of Caroline, who was in our church. She was engaged to a great guy. He's going to start law school with some of these guys. And he, he, uh, she was in a freak accident a, a month ago and I don't know if she's going to walk or not. I'm just reading her blog and it's so encouraging to hear her faith and pray for her. <clears throat> but you do have to ask why. And, and I promise you, tragedy will happen in your life. At some point, some way. Tragedy's going to happen. And to navigate through us, we must realize it is not about why. It's about discovering who. It's discovering who. Because we're not cleaving to a God who views human suffering on a hammock by the beach. He's a God who views what you're going through lying in helpless in agony on the cross. God's word to you and I. Me too. Me too. Be strong. You're going to get through this. You're going to find the airport, the rental car place, eventually. And even though you're going through a terrible, horrible thing, Know this, your Redeemer lives. Your Redeemer lives. There's a God who's going to make all this worthwhile. He lives. And one day He will stand on the earth. And when your skin is rotted away and your bones are dust, you will with your own eyes, you will see that God. It'll be well worth it. Let's, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for the, the life is such an incredible thing. There's mystery to it, there's complexity to it, there's beauty in it, there's pain in it, and it's just, we need as human beings to, na to navigate and connect it to you. Not asserting why, but seeing who. Seeing a, a God who can look at all our pain, all our suffering, all that we may be going through, and just who can who can with authority say me too. And we thank you. You don't view our lives from just a throne in heaven. You view our lives from a humiliating death on a cross. And we thank you that you're with us. 
through whatever we're going through. And we thank you that by your grace and by your power, you'll take us through things. And in the end, we thank you that you live. You're a redeemer who lives. And you're going to stand on the earth. And with our own eyes, we're going to see you and behold you. And it's just going to be so worth it all. We thank you for this. It's precious. And it's priceless. And it's in Jesus' name we receive it. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Classic City Church. We hope that together we can honor the greatness of Jesus by growing spiritually, living authentically, and participating in his purposes. For more information or more sermons from Classic City Church, please visit www.classiccity.org.